All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And I hope you've had a great week. We are back here with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered. So today I'm joined by Jai Shah and Tom White, and they are from Kahuna Workforce Solutions. And we're going to be demystifying this whole competency management. If you haven't seen the post this week, that's what we're going to be digging into, exploring a little bit more of what that looks like and why it matters. Uh, if you're joining us live right now, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tagging somebody who may be trying to tackle this challenge themselves right now uh, and would benefit from the conversation. And while you're at it, Right. This is an interactive session as always. But to get things started, come in and tell us where you are joining from in the world today. So I will go round robin with this one. Mine's always boring because it's always the same. I'm in Wauken, Wisconsin, where I always am, even though I did shift up my office a little bit ago. But let's go, let's go with Jai first. Hey guys, I am coming to you from San Diego, California today. San Diego, California. And if last week I had one of the guests, no, not last week, two weeks ago, I think one of the guests was from California. It's clearing up there, right? With fires. It's absolutely clearing up. Yeah. Uh, we, we're, we've got a break from the fires a bit. So okay. good, good news there. Guys are clear here too. So I have to assume the smoke <laughs> is not making its way over. All right. How about you, Tom? So I am high and dry in Houston, Texas, just recovering <laughs> from that night storm that hit. But we're, we're all good. I heard that we're getting some autumn weather coming down soon as well, which is going to be nice. All right. So it's cooling off? It's starting to cool off. Yeah, still still pretty warm, but uh, last few days. What's pretty is, warm, uh, by the way? What's pretty warm? Well, for me, I'm from the UK, so anything that isn't gray and raining is pretty warm for me. But we're, we're hitting like 90 to 100. For the last week, it's been more like 80. So that's, that's pretty nice. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's pretty warm without yeah. being too hot. All right. That's an accept. Yeah. I, I accept that answer. Thank you, Tom. What's that? Uh, I've been in Houston long enough to start to understand like the weather and yeah, what is there happening. You go. You're, getting, you're getting the hang of it. Okay. So before we get into competency management, learning tech, all this fun stuff, uh, let's do our completely non-related question. Uh, and everybody... You can play along as well. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I'm going to reverse the order though. So Tom, what part of elementary school do you wish you could incorporate into your adult life now? That's a, it's a tricky one, but uh, I think discovery, Chris. Like my, I've got a daughter who is not in elementary school just yet. She's in, in pre-K, but every day okay. she comes home and is super excited about something new that she's learned. And right now at work, with everything going on, it's just heads down, you know, getting things done. It's really nice to discover new things and find out new things in the world. So okay. that's, that's why. You, like. you took that in a different angle than I was expecting, right? I like, I like, it was more the concept of the coming home, discovering something new. I was thinking it'd be like, you know, craft time or something like that. But you, you really <laughs> answered it. My memory's so bad. I can't remember elementary school in the slightest. I was just playing. Oh, it. So there's, there's the real reason. The real reason. I honestly don't remember elementary school. So I'm gonna. <laughs> I like that. Okay, Jai, how about you? So I went to a community Montessori school in Lexington, Kentucky, which is where I grew up, where I was born, um, and we. It was a very free environment. Uh, which was interesting when you're, you know, in, in second and third grade. But one of the things that I discovered was that if you told your teacher you were going to go out, just go out into the woods and write a haiku, they'd let you go outside and write a haiku. And um, I kind of wish I had that kind of flexibility these days where I could just tell <laughs> everyone I'm going outside to write a haiku and disappear and hang you out, just say, be, right. be with we'll my thoughts. We'll for, yeah. Um, unfortunately... Okay. Uh, Kahuna is a little stricter than that, so uh, a little more formal. Uh, but uh, yeah, I miss, I miss writing haikus in the woods. That's what I mean. Okay. All right. Well, we've we've learned two things about you now, right? Not only what you did in elementary school, but you know that what you would do if uh, if you didn't have to do anything else, write haikus. All right. So mine, you know, I think back to elementary school. I was in a, a small private school in in rural Minnesota, and I remember recess so well because we had so much cool but most of it was we had like a huge space where they just let you go do whatever so you wanted to run around 
until you couldn't run anymore because your legs were too tired, you could. And we didn't have all the fancy like playgrounds and we didn't have all this other cool stuff. It was just like, here's a kickball, go run yourself ragged. And that to me was just, it was so simple. I think sometimes the simple things are the most fun. So that's fine. Okay. All right. Well, we won't spend too much time on that stuff yet. But so we're talking about Kahuna, this whole competency management piece, but getting into it, I'm curious, and, and you can both take a stab at this one. What was the genesis of where Kahuna came from and, and how did it come to be? Like what started the whole thing? So I'll start and I'm going to hand it off to Tom. But um, so it's funny, you're in Wisconsin. One of my first uh, human capital management consulting uh, engagements was at a company in Wisconsin, in Sheboygan. Um, uh, they make uh, faucets. Uh, very, very... Uh, skilled workforce um a lot of artisan craftsmen that came from uh you know the old world and a very long tradition of understanding what made them special as an organization from a skills and competencies perspective they were going through an hris transformation and one of the things they had built homegrown systems up until then and one of the things they were really hoping to get out of that project was a deeper understanding and curation of those skills, competencies, and the ability to digitize that whole journey of understanding what it is from a skills perspective that made that company special, and then make sure that the knowledge transfer happened across uh, generations within the workplace. And I remember thinking that if that should be the mission of HR. Like, if if not that, what are we doing outside of you know transactional HR that results in a paycheck? So, you know that that really stuck with me. And what also stuck with me is that the enterprise technology we were implementing at the time. I, I was working for a big SI. Um, couldn't had no real functionality to enable that, and that always stuck with me. And then fast forward about sixteen years. Tom and I were working at at a um, oil and gas company and and saw the exact same problem, maybe a little less from a development perspective and a little bit more from a compliance and regulatory perspective, but still the need to understand granular skills and competencies. And um, so Tom was actually the the analyst on that side of the project. And and I'm wondering, Tom, if you maybe pick it up from there and tell the story of how, how we started to think about solving this problem. Yeah, and it's funny that over that 16-year period, the same problem existed, right? The, the technology that you were implementing back then to the technology we were implementing at the oil and gas firm really hadn't solved for this problem at all. In fact, probably took a step back over that period of time. Um, so, yeah, happy to. So the big problem that we were trying to, to solve for was twofold at this client. So one was this integrated talent management uh, goal of one system to solve every one problem. To solve them all, right? One system, the one ring uh, to, to Panacea. <laughs> That's it. Um, and that was really in vogue a few years back, right? Like that, that was the, the path that a lot of talent management execs were going down and IT execs. Um, we just found this very specific problem around competency assurance that it just could not solve for. The level of detail you need to get get into the taxonomy of assignment, of a uh, validation, of reporting, uh, just did not exist. So that's like the Are you saying uh, skills and competencies are complicated? Because I don't know, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into this, <laughs> we'll get into this later, but I think that is a big takeaway, right? Even, even fast forward to today, like the big players in this space are trying to really speed a bit on how they can solve for this skills problem. Um, but really, to the to the genesis of, of Kahuna, that was the spark. How can we solve for this specific problem and integrate that solution to the broader landscape? Okay, got it. Got it. So as you were doing, because I think this is one of the interesting parts about this, because I think, you know, Jai, to your point, one of the strategic roles of the space in, in learning and talent, HR, right, whatever category you want to throw it into, is this understanding of like, what really does make the organization tick and decrypting that in many regards so that you can do something with it. So when you, when somebody says, okay, so what does Kahuna do, right? Because there's, there's going to be folks who may be watching that are like, okay, you've said a lot of words that I've heard, competency, management, you know, all, but like, what does it do? How do you how do you very succinctly explain to people? Well, this is what our system does. 
Absolutely. So, the, so our platform is a platform that allows you to curate a skills and competency framework, assign job-based and role-based competencies to individuals, validate their assessment, provide learning opportunities to close gaps, and then rolls all of that data up so that an organization can do more proactive workforce planning, um, employee development, investment philosophy on their learning, you know, kind of learning uh, journey to understand where dollars put into people development are actually going to make their workforce more competitive. So I know I said a lot more words there. That was, but but that, that was actually right. There's a lot to say because to Tom's point earlier, this is complicated. It's not like, yeah. well, right, we, we assign videos out to people. It's it's a right. complicated mix. But one, of, one of the things that we we like harp on is that skill management or competency management is its own business process and it should be treated yeah. that way just like recruiting compensation you know learning is a business process and and our applications fully supports that and then as jai said like something that we think is really key and like what is kahuna is enablement so use this data if you think about like a hub and spoke model we feel like we're in the the center of that and we can enable these other processes with our data so that's yeah kind of the, the way we're coming from and that tie to operations, that bridging the gap, common language between HR and operations, that's the key. Uh, you know, if 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 we're going after a fluffy, high high level pie in the sky competency initiative to maybe roll out four or five leadership or behavioral competencies, that's not what Kahuna is built for. And we we would advise the customer: you've got a talent platform that can do that just fine. And you've probably got processes like a performance review and a, and a continuous feedback loop where that stuff can get managed well. But if you're talking about granular, job-based, role-based, functional and technical competencies that are gonna move the needle in terms of your ability to dispatch your workers against specific job opportunities and collect experience and do more operationally related um, tasks and activities based on that data, that's what we're built for. And we're finding more and more customers are not only finding value in that, there's almost a necessity because of the rate of change being introduced into their workforce right now. How do I keep up with the change in technology, the change in demographics, the use of contingent workforce? How do I get this full picture and keep up with all of that? Well, and I think it's an interesting point because you talked about it, right, where you said, well, if, if you're trying to do this more kind of the more smaller siloed approach of like, hey, we're just kind of trying to manage some competencies in this in this pocket. That's not necessarily where we play where we're playing. Right. Is even more this holistic look at that. To me, I think that's a shift that just needs to happen in general. Right. That's not like a well, you can do it this way or you can do it this way. Now, that's my opinion that it's like, no, we, we really should be thinking about this holistically because that's how you actually manage your workforce strategically and in a way that has impact on business right actual business results and outcomes because you can say well we can actually mobilize our talent and we have visibility into who knows what and how they know and and what can we do with that that's yeah you know, that's one thing that we we often see chris is when we roll out when we have an early conversation with a new prospect and they don't have this like you said this uh, holistic solution to skills and competency management. When we go and speak to like the people in charge of outcomes, like the uh, business unit owner or the manager over an asset or something like that, or a unit, they do this, if not in a system on a spreadsheet, that this is something that is going on and being managed in these silos throughout the organization. And as we are learning as a, as a learning community, like data is, is king. And so having, all of this like data that you're not using that's just sat out there that's probably not consistent and adding value is in itself a big value add just to bring that together and have that kind of broader look at what's going on. So, the, well, and the other thing that's interesting about this, and then I have a follow-up question to that is, right, you talked about when you got into this space, this whole challenge of figuring out, you know, what actually makes us tick and what makes our people work that's not new. Like that's not a 2018 yeah. problem that suddenly came out of nowhere. And then suddenly COVID, right. It, it wasn't in an inception of COVID. It really was something organizations have been, you know, working on for a long time. So what's that evolution looked like a little bit in terms of, cause I have to imagine the way you were doing it in the nineties versus the way you're doing it now looks a smidge of a bit different. 
It, it does. And I think technology has a role to play here. Um, but there is no replacing the hard work of understanding what different roles within the company are made up of in terms of processes, tasks, and ultimately the skills and competencies required to perform those. I think technology can help a lot in helping you define that. Um, and certainly there's some more revolutionary approaches to rapid definition of an identification of critical skills and not trying to boil the ocean and say, we need this, you know, 100 competency list for every single role in the company. Let's figure out what are the roles that are moving the needle from a business impact, business performance perspective, and let's start there. And then we can start, you know, roll out to other people. But um, I think the, the big thing that's different now is um, the ability to integrate and get operational data to help inform proficiency, do inferred proficiency in many cases, really use the data that's in your environment already to narrow the aperture on the things that you really need to put, you know, more manual and kind of observed assessment and those types of measures in place. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the big sea change that we're seeing now is, you know, that integrated environment where we can bring all that data together. And XAPI okay. and things like that are really helping to shape uh, where we can go with that. Well, and I think it's right. It's an interesting point. You hit on a couple of things. One, and I say this about a lot of stuff, technology is an enabler. It's not the solution. So I think sometimes people are looking for, right, what is that tech solution that will just take all this off right. our plate? And it doesn't exist, right? There, there still is the hard work that goes into it. And I think, right. Tom, to your point earlier about you know, a lot of organizations, and, and I've been part of them, where you have a lot of this data, it exists, but it's it's here and it's there and it's it's not consistent and, and it's all over the place. That's not bad. I think sometimes people kind of beat themselves up a little bit about it. Like, oh, we, you know, we just have, have to do have been yeah. doing it wrong. And it's like you were doing what you could do yeah, exactly. in the environment you were in. It was the first step in in kind of moving forward. And and Jai, if I'm picking up on what you're saying right, that's that isn't a bad thing because that's a good foundation that you can start from. You just can't stop there. Exactly. Yeah, we, we, you know, I would say 80% of the engagements that we go into, our customers come to us with some framework. It just happens to be a framework that they've built and are starting to manage or have for years managed in Excel or SharePoint. And the good news is we can ingest all of that and very quickly turn it around in terms of a digital framework that now is codified in a database with business logic and business rules. And all of a sudden that stuff starts to come to life. And people say, oh, I can now take that data and I can build my shift schedule off of it. Or I can take that data and understand what my gap is to my customer demand one, two, three years down the road. And the light bulb just starts to go off. I can start to do my learning needs analysis, not based on how many people I hired into a particular job role, but what my specific competency and skill gap is against those learning offerings. And then I can turn around and measure effectiveness of those learning offerings and say, did they actually close that skill gap or did I just waste a bunch of money buying, you know, third party content that had no impact on my proficiency? Uh, those are the okay. that's where the connection really starts to happen for people, I think. Well, and a question came through in the chat and I'm actually going to jump forward to that and then jump back a little bit. But Lizelle was asking about, right, and you, you hit on it a little bit in terms of this, how does the content or your LMS, right, where some of this learning stuff happens, how then is that feeding into, you know, Kahuna or how is that being used? And I'm curious, you know, how a lot of organizations are using that, because I think it does get to that point of, in many organizations, we have a lot of this stuff, there's maybe a lot of learning out there, but what what are we getting for it or how does that connect to the bigger picture? And I, and that's one of the things that excites me about this kind of tech is it yeah. allows LD to kind of jump out of the silo of, well, we're, we're just kind of heads down in, in this space. Yeah. yeah. Tom, I'm going to have you take this one. It, it's a, it's a big focus for us. That's all I'll say. And, and Tom, yeah. Yeah. And, and please build on it. So as, as you were saying, Jai, like the integration is one of the biggest things that have changed, right? Of process and of technology over the last few years and how we can enable to your point, Chris other processes. Um, LMS integration in Kahuna, I'll talk about it in two different ways and then Jay, you take it away. So first on the technical level, it's key for us. We like to bring in like the, the learning catalog, the content 
from the LMS and then do that translation to what is the impact on competencies and skills in Kahuna. And then we bring in like the completion of that data into Kahuna from a very standard kind of perspective. And then in our system itself, it plays two really key roles. So one is your journey towards skills, proficiency and competency, right? Some of our clients will have this as like a, an awareness proficiency level, if you will, for a, for a competency. And that's driven by taking training, right? Understanding. Are you aware, right, North level of stuff? Do you at least have cognizant awareness of this stuff? Exactly that, yeah. And then in the system, we'll get into this later, where Jai was talking about operational data. That's what then takes you from awareness to application or whatever you want to call it in the system. So that's one part. And the other is, is what Jai said, kind of a more specific LXP, if you will. So what I have skill gaps, what is out there that will move the needle for me to close those skill gaps and start to take training to close skills rather than just because it's been assigned out in a curriculum. So that's the two real ways we see it. Um, we have, we're gonna work on this a lot on our from a product evolution perspective and our roadmap using XAPI. There's a bunch of different ways we can unlock things with XAPI, understand how people are learning what training has the biggest impact on skills, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, Jai, anything to, to add there? Yeah, uh, not really. Just the that user journey, uh, just to you know, put a fine point on, on answering this question, it is absolutely 100% enabled from the standpoint of me as a, as a learner, I can now see exactly what's required and then what's referential relative to various skills, and I can link to that very specific learning item, regardless of whether it's in a corporate LMS, a third-party LMS that the company just refers to, it could be a, a reference document on SharePoint. So we kind of unlock that whole uh, idea that everything has to just be in one kind of uh, you know, formal LMS, and we have a multimodal approach to linking you to the right resource in the right channel, if you will, to close that very specific skill gap. Okay. Well, I'm curious, and and we'll we'll uh, it'll be interesting to see as as we go with this because I think one of the things that's interesting in our space is sometimes the completion data gets a gets a bit of a bad rap, right? It does. You know, it's like oh well, completion data doesn't tell us anything. It's like well, maybe, but maybe not, right? Because there is this lowest level of like well, there is yeah. something to be said along the continuum of well, you engage with it that does tell us something about the fact you at yeah. least have some cognitive awareness that this is a thing and some basic foundation things. I think where we where it does fall is when we assume that that means somebody's skilled at something. Yeah, exactly. well, no, right. it doesn't necessarily tell us, but it is a data point. And I think to what you're talking about is the fact that where Cahoon is leaning in is saying, we're pulling that data point in with other data points to tell a more holistic picture around well, what does Tom know and what is Tom able to do so that we can then align that to the organization say, well, where can he best do that? And then to your point, I guess, you know, the other piece you talked about, which is where I think LXPs kind of, you're kind of a blend of that whole talent marketplace LXP space where it's like, well, and you have these gaps, but rather than leaving it to you to figure out, so what do I do about those gaps? It's about being able to say, hey, and here's a path or here's some things that can help you move move that along. One one quick thing there is, is just connecting what you just did there, Chris, with what Jai was saying earlier about experience. And I think that is really key for us at Kahuna is that, like you said, completion of learning or just learning itself has a, a really important place in the story of becoming competent and skilled. But there's a bunch of other stuff. So when you say like, I've got a skill gap, what can I do about it? That's not always take training, right? That is get out there, have Jai mentor me on, uh, you know, whatever, running a workshop and doing it is so important. And that's really like something that we specifically focus on is that if you think about like the, the old 70, 20, 10, like that, that 70% of stuff is really under under marketed in the learning technology landscape, I think. So it's something we I agree. To. And I actually I want to dig into that, but I I said I was going to jump back. So I don't want to forget to jump <laughs> yeah. back because I think one of the things that I'm curious about with this is is I think of the competency piece, right? You you go back to kind of the start where you're building this framework and you're saying, all right, 
what really are the, and again, whatever you want to call them, competencies, skills, exactly. capabilities, right? right? Everybody's yeah. got a different right. word yeah. for them, but we're saying the same thing. What are the behaviors or the capabilities that somebody has that allows them to be good at something? When you look at that, and I'm curious how this, just more so from a workflow standpoint, works with organizations, because some organizations probably have a lot of that. Maybe it's scattered throughout. Other organizations may not have any of that. They may be earlier on in the journey. When you work with organizations, do you have some of that to kind of give people kind of a, a grounding or do you also help benchmark? Because there may be people who have data, but it's not it's not very good data or it's like really outdated. And they yeah. may say, hey, this is what we think our competency model is. And because you're doing all this, you're looking at it going, yeah, and I don't know that I would really recommend that that's what we do. What does that process look like to make sure yeah. that you're actually starting from a strong foundation? So we, we do have a very strong network of partners and content providers. Um, okay. It's not a business that we are particularly in, in terms of developing the framework itself. We have our perspective on what the right framework matchup is, at least as a starting point, a jumping off point. And it, it really depends on what the business objectives are of the customer. So the first thing we do as a software company, and sometimes this slows down our, our sales cycle, and that's okay. We, we run an exercise where we say, what are you trying to achieve? You know, and, and because those, those could be very different outcomes. In one case, you may be a, have a very safety relevant goal or a very um, you know, operationally driven goal. And in others, it, it, it may be, we hope that they're all operational outcomes, but you know, in, in another case, it may be a softer development retention. We, we, we have that problem we're trying to solve. And so you know, depending on what that objective is, we will then kind of narrow that aperture around, okay, these are the competencies that are gonna make the most sense, or this is the scope of roles that, are, that we really want to affect. And then we can match you up with the right set of content or a content provider, um, because there are a lot of companies that just do that side of things very well. Um, yeah, just to add like two, two thoughts there, uh, Jai. So I think when you match up with a content provider and, and partner, kind of like you said, it's a great starting point, Chris, but there's an in kahuna and, and best practice, I think, come together nicely here. You have to work with the client to say what is special about you. What is the goal, like Jai said, that you're trying to achieve and kind of uh, work that into the content, right? So you can start with some really great off-the-shelf stuff, but I think there's a, you know, like a calibration process you need to go through. And the, the other point I think is really important is in healthcare is a different story for us uh, around yeah. content. We've, we've, um, we've partnered with uh, Intermountain Healthcare uh, Systems uh, out, of, um, out of Utah, and uh, they have great content that they have curated over the last uh, nine years or a, a good period of time. They've curated them into roles, and we, we're really fortunate to be able to partner with them for other healthcare systems to say this has been this is in practice with a, with a, this is this isn't like a content provider this is a health system maintaining this to the right level of standards so uh, on on the healthcare specifically it's a different story yeah well and and it's an important call out right because every industry well that's right I've seen people get into these debates where it's like well it's completely unique over here it's like well there are right. certain components that are kind of unique. There's a lot that overlaps, but yeah, when you start digging in highly regulated industries, things like that, there are some nuance that you have to respect and you can't just say, oh, it's the same. Um, on that one though, I am curious this, and, and Jai, you hit on it earlier, um, but I think one of the important things you you tackled or that, that I think people should kind of mention, you talked about the fact that starting with the like outcome in mind may slow down the process and I think it can, but I think it's a good slowdown, right? Yeah. To me, this is one of those things where it's like, I've seen people try and be like, well, we just need to hurry up. Let's jump to the, let's jump to the end. And it, it doesn't go well because you, it, it's one of those like, hey, we got to make sure we're, we're planning and we're doing this the right way so that as we move forward, it does speed it up. I think the phrase I've heard a lot is like, you go slow to go fast. Right. You go right. on the front end so that you can speed up. So I'm curious. And the reason I said that was to kind of hit on the next point, which is how then do, do people typically do you see them starting at like the eat the elephant? Like, let's do this for the whole every role in the organization. Or do you find people say, hey, let's start here 
let's let's really get this working and then let's let's expand it out so for the customers that are replacing a system and they've put all the thought into their program a lot of times that may be a, a full-on you know kind of big bang we've got it all worked out we're just looking for a technology solution to make this more efficient that unfortunately um isn't every customer but that's okay i think with the with the ones where you know we're helping to sell enterprise change and think about a different way of doing things it's absolutely a phased uh, approach starting with the most critical roles that the willing victims if you will within the company because they've got a, a need a dying need um yeah. and and that's what what informs it you know a big use case for us is field service companies that have field service technicians because ultimately there's a recognition now that I want to schedule and dispatch those workers that are best suited for the tasks that they're going to be asked to do. And you'd be so surprised how much content does exist in the op as an HR person, you may not even be aware how much content exists in the operational groups at that granular level, because they've been having to figure this stuff out for, yeah. for so long, you know, they've been having to figure out, who do I put on that next job that in, includes this, you know, type of activity. <clears throat> and so, you know, we're really good at helping customers mine that data and then kind of formalize it into it, into our data model. You know, it's funny about that. And mm -hmm. this is so true, right? Because I've been on the op side of, of talent and learning for most of my career, almost all of it. There are so many pockets of data that I think on the HR side, they're not even aware because the right. business is just like, we've just had to do this and we've just had to like take care of it. And we didn't loop you in. We didn't have time to bring you into the fold because we just needed to get the work done. And it's amazing. to And to me, this is where it's a huge opportunity for the central HR function to really mm -hmm. lean in and say, hey, we actually have a way to help you now. We have a way to help you solve your operational problems by listening, bringing this in and automating a lot of this stuff that Tom, you said it, you've been doing with spreadsheets and, and you've been manually tracking all this stuff. And there's a lot of tribal knowledge that suddenly somebody leaves and that all yeah. goes with them. And what do you do with that? It, to Jai's point about food services, they, they have procedures, right? Like that, that is very prescribed thing that you need to do when you go out into the field. That's a gold mine. For HR and it, Stacey Harris talks about this a lot. Making those relationships between yeah. HR training operations is so valuable. Resource managers, that everyone can help each other out and add a ton of value. But yeah. HRs traditionally have run away from this because if I think about the tools that I had to offer, and if I think about trying to put this in my core HR system and actually make a difference, it starts to fall apart really quickly. And I'm gonna look not so great you know, sponsoring a program like that. So right. you know, ultimately right. you moved in, in and said, I'm going to take this on, but I really didn't have the capabilities to take right. this on. And now they're like, you know what, give it back. And you've damaged the relationship. Cause they're like, right. no, give me exactly. back my spreadsheets. You just messed up <laughs> our stuff. <laughs> One really foundational fundamental thing that we've mentioned a bit throughout the conversation is like job architecture. And I think that is something that is just an ongoing challenge for HR and operations, where they just think about this completely differently, right? Like HR is run on the job architecture side often by compensation, needs to be broad. Most HR yep. systems think about job as that unique kind of uh, object that runs the, the show, whereas operations, Engineer doesn't cut it, right? There is, I'm a valves engineer in the Gulf of Mexico, and that's what I do. So I, for, for us, when we built Kahuna, solving for that, that translation, yep. that difference has been really important. I think that can bring the, the groups together nicely. Well, and I think that's where we talked a little bit about it. And then I've got a question that uh, Lizelle asked again that I want to bring up. But I think this is where you know, we've historically seen this, where some of the big systems, when you try and solve for everything, you can't really solve for anything super well, at least at the level of granularity that is required. And that honestly, that operators require because they're like, this isn't, we can't operate on this high level kind of it's good enough type stuff. This is, this is yeah. true P and L type impact that we're going to have if, if we don't do this right. And that's, 
that's some serious accountability for people in our space. We're like, we want a seat at the table. Like, well, <laughs> just be ready because it gets hot sometimes. So make sure you're coming into it ready to go. The, so the, the question, oh, sorry. No, 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 go for it first. Oh, the, the good news about that, right? Like these applications, we talk them about them sometimes being like a mile wide and a couple of inches deep. They, they're evolving, something like Workday, they have a great API now. So we have some really good integrations with Workday where we do what we do really well. We're not trying to, to get into to that space. And we just put the data back into use for talent management processes. We get data to help assignments be more kind of, uh, you know, intelligent and, and so on. So I think well, if they keep on that shift. part, well, and I think that's a shift I'm seeing in the tech marketplace in general. That's a positive yeah. one, right? Before yeah. everyone was trying to create their own their own island, right. their own kind of thing. And now this recognition that, hey, we can't all do everything with the level of specificity right. that we need. And so let's let's kind of feed this data together to be able to work as a holistic entity. Yeah, a little shout out for you know where technology and cloud uh, cloud technology in particular has gone with uh, you know at least somewhat plug and play integration and providers like we're hosted on Microsoft Azure, so I always like to give them a plug because they're a great partner for us. But the democratization of application development platform development. We would have never been able to do this in another generation or another era. We wouldn't have had the, the capital needs or the capital requirements to spin up the infrastructure and do everything we needed to do. And now we have a very secure, globally delivering platform that we were able to construct you know, to the phase and size of our company and continue to elastically expand that footprint. And that's not possible without cloud providers like like Microsoft or AWS, you know, places like that. And I think the customer benefits so greatly because now you can get specialization of functionality with integration and you couldn't get that. Yeah. No, and I think that's where when you hear the arguments or kind of, you know, the, the negative attitude of like, well, we haven't been doing this. It's like, well, honestly, for a long time, you couldn't. It right. just was the yeah. evolution of technology has enabled things that weren't previously possible. And I think that's, I mean, it was part of the reason I started this show was so that it's like, people just need to understand there are things that you have for years, decades thought, well, we just can't do that. And yeah. the answer is yes, you can. You just need to know what's possible now because the rules have been dramatically changed. Okay. I would end up going off on this tangent for a long time. <laughs> but so the question that Lizelle asked uh, that I think is, a, I'm curious on this one, right? When it comes to, and this gets back to kind of the measurement standpoint of, all right, how do we know what what people actually know and what they can do? So and don't apologize for the question, Lizelle. I, I love <laughs> yeah, getting the questions from these, these assessments, right? As you're assessing what people know, how would that then incorporate? And is it is it a traditional assessment? Like, how are you pulling that together to start getting the profile of the employee? Uh, so I'm just going to say at its core, that's what Kahuna does is it manages okay. a multi-modal assessment, essentially. That could be learning driven, observational, taking a quiz or some sort of knowledge test. It could be experiential. But what Kahuna does is allow you to construct a competency proficiency journey that could include one or all of those things to inform your current proficiency and then compares that current proficiency against what the expectation for your role is. So you know whether you are have a gap in which you wanna close that gap or you may be exceeding your role. And that becomes really interesting because then you can search for what's the next opportunity that this competency and proficiency has unlocked for me within the organization. We haven't really talked a lot about that side of things, but our platform also allows you to discover what else is out there that might be applicable for me in my career journey based on my current profile of skills and competencies. Well, so let's jump to that, but, oh, go ahead, Tom. Finish. Add oh, yeah, two real quick things on, on, on the question. 
One is like validation as well. As Jai said, we can have a blended approach and for different competencies, one of those approaches will, will probably be best, right? So in the world of health and safety, you might just need to see your training matrix because that's a prerequisite to do anything out there. So learning driven. The other thing to note is like, who is the validator? So if you're doing observations, who is the person, who is the right person to do that observation, right? Most systems will say, hey, Jai is my boss. He's the right person to, to do that observation. But in Kahuna, we have a way to find assessors, essentially, using data uh, to, to, ma to match up the right assessor. So I think that validation portion, portion of assessment is, is key as well. Well, and I think yeah. the, the follow-up question, and maybe this will get at the root of what she was getting at, so let me know, Lizelle, but I think is, right, so I'm thinking a lot of times when I do these on the shows, it's it's people are kind of grasping the workflow of this, right? How does this work? So, you know, let's say, let's let's just do an example. Let's say you've got an organization that maybe has some some learning data, and and you're saying, hey, you know, that's what we have. Are there some kind of like different options that are already built into Kahuna where you may say, hey, right? observations is something we don't have. Here's kind of a prefab thing. And this is how we would actually get that data in so that people can kind of say, oh, we have an incomplete data profile. What does a good data profile look like? And you can say, these are some different options that we can pull in from Kahuna, or is it just whatever you have, we'll figure it out type thing. Is there, and I think, cause that's where sometimes people structure with, I get it needs a framework, but I don't even know what that framework could look like. Yeah, and, and so I'll take that initially. The way Kahuna works is we ingest your framework if you have it. If you don't, it's apparent where you have gaps. But there, again, going back to what we said earlier, there's no replacing that work of de determining it, these are the basic skills, competencies, experiences, behaviors that that are important to the company. So there has to be that needs analysis, that identification of, of those things once those are identified the building of the checklist or the observation or the quiz that all kind of happens as you load that data into kahuna it automatically digitizes that checklist or pre pre uh, presents okay. those behaviors to be validated so there's not an extra step there once you've determined what that content is kahuna takes care of the rest once it's imported essentially okay. it'll expose it appropriately so, I, and I'm just, again, thinking from a workflow standpoint. So as an organization, you may say, hey, you're, you're coming into the process and you're saying, here's what we got. And then as you're doing that needs analysis piece, you're looking at it saying, here's what you have. Here's some opportunities to yeah. improve and enhance that, at which point they can kind of create that framework and then bring that into Kahuna, which then now becomes digital and, and enhanced. Yes. And, and that's a continuous improvement, even for very mature customers. It's not a one and done. Your organization's yeah. changing. It's flexing. Skills are yeah. important one day. They're not important the next. The good news about Kahuna is that you can change the makeup of a role. And really that the most current idea of what is important to that role is presented to the user. But all that historical stuff doesn't go away. It stays with right. you because that stuff may come back. You know, it may not be a priority today, but it's a priority. Know what it was for historical purposes, things like right. that. Okay. Right. Well, and that, and I think that helps with kind of paint the picture of, of what that looks like and help people kind of structure what that is. Okay. So let's. The what was the piece you said that we didn't get into yet? Oh, right. The the okay. So let's say you're opening opportunity for employees who may be saying, "I've been doing this right. I have I have these skills, but like." What do I do with them and where does that opportunity exist? So how does that work then? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So in Kahuna, we have a very specific piece of functionality called we, we call it the role predictor. And essentially this is meant to kind of show the end user kind of lateral and, and um, horizontal opportunities for you. So it's going to look at your history, like you said, Chris, everything you've got, not just what's currently assigned to you, but things you've brought with you from different uh, varied roles. And it's going to do that real-time kind of algorithmic matchup to, hey, here is a role that you are already 50% developed towards. Here's your gap. Here's the things that you want to focus on. Here's the things that helps you focus on those. So it kind of offers that up to the um, to the employee. The cool thing is the way that we a lot of our clients can structure their competencies is that they would have like a core taxonomy that goes across 
multi-disciplines, multi-functions, right? Like, like you said, not everyone's unique. And then you'll have like your bolt-ons that are very specific to a role. Okay. Um, so when you're doing this matchup, you can see where you have like a good amount of overlap and some specific things you need to develop. Got it. Well, and it gets to it gets to the point that you know I was kind of getting at with the whole competency framework is just like with jobs and career, you know, career ladders, career jungle gyms, whatever term you want to call. A lot of times people struggle with a blank canvas, right? Where you're like, well, you have these skills. What do you want to do with it? I, I don't know, right? right? I'm not really yeah. sure. I'm not sure what the organization needs or where I may be able to contribute more. You know, I, I think I'm doing my best, but I'm not 100% sure. And I think that's, you look at employee engagement, that is a huge contributor to poor engagement scores is when people feel stuck and you know, then the assumption is made, well, they don't want to do anymore. I think a lot of times it's not they don't want to. A lot of times employees just don't know what else they can do within an organization. Yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah. Like, no. figure it out. So let's talk about uh, kind of where some some of our customers are taking this because they're, they're introducing. You know, I don't particularly love this term, but I do think it's applicable. They're introducing a certain amount of gamification to uh, this this process, and so yeah. the way they're doing that is they are waiting certain skill and proficiencies and saying, you know, I'm going to give you a point value if you achieve a certain uh, set of skills. So I can kind of direct where users should be focused. And in some cases, they're taking it all the way to automatically impacting, positively impacting compensation when you hit certain thresholds. So we would actually have an interface or an integration out to their payroll system that says, you know, hourly rate goes up by X because they've hit this next threshold of point achievement relative to skills. And, and from a pay equity standpoint and paying based on skill achievement versus other uh, factors, huge, huge. Remove bias from that, right? It's, it's huge in two, right? Like you said, in two ways, it's huge. First of all, one, in terms of there's nothing worse, and this is where I've seen this just, just go down like the Hindenburg, is when you're trying to say, hey, right? We want you to grow skills. We want you to develop. We want you, right? It's a very organizational heavy benefit. Right. We yeah. want this from you. Right. And, and when your employee starts feeling like I'm doing all this, you're getting all the benefit from my skills. I'm better. I'm more efficient. I'm able to do more. I'm contributing more to the organization. What's in it for me? And the answer is nothing. Right. <laughs> that, that, that actually has a counter... Like it counters yeah. the efforts that you're putting because it starts to feel a little bit like, well, wait a minute, I'm putting all this work in and I'm not seeing any of the benefits. So I love the fact that right organizations are taking it to this yeah. next level. And it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't always necessarily mean, you know, a promotion or, you know, a different job. It might mean, well, you're, you're at a different tier within your job or there's some financial incentive yeah. behind it yeah. that makes it worthwhile. And to your point about the equity behind it, there's nothing more frustrating to employees when they see, right, not only is there pay inequity, but the person who's up here is not more skilled at the right. job. Kenya or they know, right? Exactly. Like that just crushes, crushes yeah. engagement. Yes. Agreed. The uh, one, one thing to add to what Joe is saying is is how that enables multi-skilling as well, right? Like it incentivizes the employee to think outside what is currently assigned to them. And one, one of the clients that's using this is just thinking about how can we, right now with COVID, with everything going on, we're asking more of our employees. We have less resources. We're asking more. How can we make that uh, more consumable to the employee, give them more visibility, then reward them for it. So I think it's a, it's a really nice way to underline the objective of the program. No, I yeah. like it. So so one one comment that came in, and I'm actually really curious about this. I was going to ask about this. So thanks, Boss, for for reminding me of it. Is, you know, Jai, you talked about this a little bit earlier of, right, it's about flexibility and agility and not necessarily mm -hmm. saying, all right, we did this. Let's let's put it on the shelf. Let's call it a day. We'll revisit in 20 years when the next pandemic hits, you know, and we have to kind of panic again and figure this out. So with that, you know, how how do you work with organizations? I think one of the big messages here is this is not a once and done clap your hands type things. 
but that is an adjustment and that's something, I mean, this is a lot of work. What we're talking about is yeah. it's a lot of work that goes into it and it's not work that you get to just be done with. It's, it's kind of an evolutionary thing. So how do organizations tackle that? Agreed. We, we're creating a cultural shift here, a culture of, of assessment, a culture of skill identification. But I'm going to use one uh, very specific example because of COVID to, to highlight flexibility and how managing change is, is actually enabled in Kahuna versus um, something that becomes a chore. So we mentioned healthcare a couple times. Obviously, healthcare operations, healthcare skills, capabilities, hugely impacted by COVID. Overnight, telehealth became an absolute imperative to, to ensure revenue. Um, yeah. Overnight, I'm trying to identify who from my ICU can go or if from my uh, emergency room can go work in the ICU or who from my operating room can go work in my ICU. Who knows ventilators, you know, so on and so forth. How, what's yep. that gap? What's the time to close that gap? That is managing change. That's being flexible. So our healthcare clients were using Kahuna to push out new requirements, to discover talent, to um, to do things like run whole programs around how do I upskill in telehealth? Uh, because my revenue depends on that. And so they boiled that down to very specific behaviors that they needed to uh, see in people. They boiled it down to a few training offerings around you know, PPE, donning PPE. They could use the system to automatically expire everyone's competencies in safety critical areas and then retrain them because notifications were pushed out. So that idea of managing change, I think, was super highlighted in that you know that environment and if you can you know start to push that out and think about that relative to digital transformation or other organizational initiatives that are impactful to people's skills and behaviors once you have that framework the the, the cost is in that and the effort is really in that initial rollout once you have a, a sustaining process you know we can really help and uh, keep that as a sustaining activity okay well, and so from a change man, because I think that's a it's a really important one, because when you look at the employee base and just people in general, one of the biggest challenges for initiating change is helping people understand why the change is even happening. Right. The, the what's in it for me and like, why is this even going on? So I'm curious in that instance, because I think it's a perfect example. Right. All of a sudden COVID hit telehealth hits and you're like, who even knows how to do right? Who even knows how to have an appointment? You know, Right. through this new capability and we don't know and all of a sudden if you're a physician <laughs> you're kind of mad that all of a sudden like now i my my credentials expired or things like that now in managing that change obviously there's a lot more that goes into it than just expiring credentials and saying hey now you got to go do stuff but are people are people layering some of that kind of storytelling through kahuna or how are they managing that because that is a big Right, that is a big challenge, and we we experienced that full force in 2020. Tom, you want to talk a little bit about Cameron and and uh, you know the engineering population? I think that's a, a good example of 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 where uh, and you are intimately uh, involved with that implementation. So yeah, yeah, totally. So at the moment, it's really focused on like program management. I, I think, yep. and, and Cameron's a good example of where they have like an SME community. That, that runs this, they own this. Talking about HR working with operations, get the ops folks to really own the outcome and the, the, you know, the support of this. So when things occur, they have these community meetings of SMEs, they talk about the impact, they work with their specific groups to kind of communicate the why, the what's in it for you, the, the why things are changing. And they also kind of in parallel make the updates to the, to the application. So yeah. that's pretty work in that. And change management is you. You're 100 correct, Chris. Like without without change management, these programs don't go forward. There has to be an explanation of of the various stakeholder analysis and and what's in it for each stakeholder. We're lucky enough to have uh, actually hired the person who ran the Cameron program. She now heads up a lot of our change management activities. Has a very good perspective on you know, what it means to engineers, what it means to field service technicians, what it means to, you know, the executives in terms of the access to the data as well. So 
you know, really can help develop that, those um, strategic messaging. And um, uh, we, we, we obviously help in that arena when, when we engage with a customer and that, them. Yeah, that, that's one reason why that, like you mentioned earlier, Chris, like rolling out to smaller groups and kind of rather than a big bang, it's so effective because you, you create these like internal change agents that own the program and can show their peers you know, uh, in person normally, but virtually now, like, hey, did you see what we've, we've done with this data? Look what we can do. And that kind of creates that, that atmosphere of, of change. And that well, flywheel effect is crazy. Uh, that, that flywheel effect is, is pretty awesome to see within organizations. When, when you have your customer champion walking into a, a executive meeting and able to show analytics on the capabilities of their particular staff, and everyone's looking around the room saying, how come I don't have that data? It's pretty impactful. And we've seen that especially in the age of COVID when people were really trying to get their hands on where are we as an organization? And we saw that's where we saw engagement really tick up in our customer base is um, our champions were out there with the data at their fingertips and every, all their peers were saying, how come I'm not there? How come I don't have that same visibility? And so, you know, we saw well, a lot of patient thing, right? <laughs> yeah, Start exactly. creating a little bit of incentivization to be like, well, Absolutely. Hey, this group has all this data and insights on their talent. They're actually mobilizing it. They've increased efficiency. They have, right. And they have the data to prove it. It's not just a gut feel like we think we're doing a good job. It's a, it's a data-based approach. Empirical approach. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and, and that so, drives what is in it for the organization as well, right? Showing that data, showing that you can impact real operational outcomes is really the, the key. Yeah. Well, and, and with that, I knew we would run out of time, but as I look at kind of the, as we wrap things up, we've hit on a couple things that I don't think are necessarily like, well, I guess I would call them watch outs, right? Like, are there watch outs as if you're considering stepping into this space? What are some things that you just have to take into account? We talked about the change management piece, right? If you think you're just going to enable something and just throw it out at the org and that's it, it's, are there any other big kind of like, hey, these are things to be thinking about if you're considering embarking on this journey? And again, we've only got a couple minutes to dig yeah. into them. Like, are there just I'll, some I'll big give three. I'll give you three. three. Perfect. If, if, if your program's not tied to an operational outcome, question the motivation and the ability to have success with that program. If okay. your program is not inclusive of functional and technical competencies at the role level, thinking about the actual work that gets done, I question whether that's a true, what we call real skilling. By the way, we, we didn't even get into that where we branded or trademarked a new, a new term for we all got of a this. new buzzword. Okay. Yeah. So we're calling it real skilling and um, if, because of, uh, you know, we feel like these programs are rooted in reality and, and make a real difference. But um, so if your program does not get to that role level, and then finally, if you're not integrating this data into decision making for downstream processes that consume this data, you are you will become an island of data that will crush in its own weight because no one's going to. No one's going to know that this data exists and be able to take advantage of it. So those would be my three watchouts. You know, one, make sure it's tied to a business outcome. Two, make sure you're getting to the right level of specificity and granularity. And three, make sure you're integrating the data to downstream systems and decision making. That's the second one. That so all three of them make perfect sense, and I think they're great calls. I think the second one is one that I really want to highlight with that because I think sometimes that's where there's a bit of a miss where we think, well, we've established competencies, but they're up here, right? right. They're up here versus when you really dig into ops, it's that that doesn't cut it, right? Right. Communication. That's not that's not specific mm -hmm. enough for an operational team to say, well, we need to actually know what these people do on an operational level to be able to action against that to then, right. to your point, tie back to a business outcome, right? Exactly. It has that, to be able to. And that drives engagement, right, Chris? So if it's really high and abstract, then what, what's in it for me? But if it's talking the same language as me as a, a field tech, then I know that I need to do this. It makes sense, right? Yeah. 
Well, this has been this has been super fun. Wait, were you gonna say some one more thing, Ty? Well, I was gonna turn the tables on you, Chris, and put you on the spot. Will you come on our uh, our podcast sometime? We'd love to have you. Yeah, sure. Why not? Right. Why All right. Not? All right. Now, thank you very much. Yeah, and I said it live, so now I have to do it. Right. I'm, I'm on. That's why you did it. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. Well, no. So this has been this has been fantastic. You know, I, again, I think it's one of these things, right? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of work, in my opinion, that is worthwhile and is going to get us the things that we're we're trying to do, right? That, that we've been saying we want to do for so long, and it's in the best interest of the orgs. It's in the best interest of our employees if we do it right. And I think, you know, Jai, you said that in the beginning. It's worth it to take the time to do it right and make sure that it moves forward. So hopefully everybody, we had a big audience across multiple channels here. Hopefully we got all your questions answered. We could talk about this significantly longer, but maybe another time. Um, so thank you for being here, Jai, Tom, great chatting with you. Thanks everybody for joining in and getting your questions uh, and, and engaging in the conversation. And we will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Chris. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you.